Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Volrath Feed. I'm Rich Rupp, your podcast host, product trainer, and chef here at the Volrath Company. And as always, in tandem with our best producer in the industry and my co-host, Justin <laughs> Pearson. Hey, Justin. Hey. hey, Rich. What is up? How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Yourself? Oh, you know what? I'll take that fantastic and uh, raise it an amazing. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. Uh, call, I guess. <laughs> no, I agree. Great, great day. And it's going to be a great day here on the podcast, too, I think. We have a great show lined up. And just a quick note on, on the podcast. You know, we always try to bring the entire industry, right? We don't focus just on one part of it. We bring you everything that's involved in this great big world we call food service. Everything from, obviously, chefs and and owners dealers, consultants, people that support our industry. We've had people on from the part side and service side of the industry. So really just a, a great big window into what we call food service. And hopefully we bring that uh, every time we sign up for the show here. One thing that, that I personally find very valuable when, I, when I'm listening to various podcasts is I greatly appreciate when I don't have to sit through an advertisement that isn't relevant to me. So... With that, our program, as always, is commercial-free, even from us. We're, we're not here to pitch our own brand. We are right. here truly to bring you industry experts and tap into their experiences and their expertise so that we can all grow and move ahead together as an industry. And Because that's really what food service and hospitality is about. Um, we're all in business to make a buck, of course, but it's a tight community, and we're all here to help each other and get gains all all together. Right, right. And I think people would, if you've listened to this show, you you know, we're this is not a 40-minute, hour-long, whatever it is, uh, Volrath commercial. We try to just bring you the the guest and, what, and their story, again, relating it all to this world of food service that we're all in. So with that, another show today, great show, I think, coming up. We've got a chef on today. They are always fun and interesting. I think. Um, we have <laughs> yeah, there, there, there's so many similarities amongst amongst chefs, but they're always so different in the in the same breath. You know, it's like mm -hmm. the, a lot of them have the same route that they took to to becoming a chef, but man, everyone is is unique and colorful in their own way, and that's I always truly love it when we have chefs on the show. Right, right. I, I like it. I'm selfishly, I, my prep time's probably a little less. <laughs> I find it easier to relate. I, you know, can, can, well, they're uh, your people, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, it helps. But you said it, they're interesting. Some are a bit edgy. You know, we have a lot of fun and little editing sometimes may be needed. But uh, for the most well, part, that, colorful, yeah. honest, entertaining, give you their story. Here it is. And that's always fantastic. So. On that note, today our chef our guest is uh, Chef Brittany Radcliffe, who is the chef at Moorhead State University and also a Hell's Kitchen alumni. So that'll be interesting Ooh. to to hear her yeah. story. And everybody likes to pull back the curtain on on Hollywood and TV and and see what happens behind. And um, hopefully, she doesn't have any type of like gag order on <laughs> revealing show secrets or the processes there. But because I, I, I would like to know more about what that really looks like, especially from a contestant perspective. Oh, me as well. I, I can't wait. I'm a, I watch the show and I watch other shows and I've I met some people that have been on some other shows and they tell me, you know, everything on TV isn't as you see. So they were mm -hmm. able to talk. So hopefully she will. Right. Be right. As well. But I mean, Hell's Kitchen, that's gotta be the one, if I think about them, that might, be the most intimidating. I don't know. 
Yeah, that's, well, that's that's definitely the brand that they are subscribing to. There, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's really the angle that they're taking, and um, that that high drama is is really um, engaging and enticing for for an audience. It keeps mm-hmm. them glued to the screen. Well, and if you've got you know Ramsey and his reputation, he's he's I think one of the if not the most recognizable, um, respected, um, famous chefs, we'll mm-hmm. say. But, um, you know, he, <laughs> screaming at you and, and scallops and risotto, it's often said, like, well, those two things, you'd think that before you went on that show, you would nail scallops and risotto. But it always <laughs> seems like those are the things of like, who cooked the scallops? And they get yelled at <laughs> yep. more. So. Oh, it just makes for such good TV. You yeah. know, it's like, <laughs> we need somebody who's going to screw this up every single time. So, well, <laughs> so we, we, <laughs> you wonder, like, um, it's got to be different. I'm sure we're going to hear, hopefully we're going to hear a different perspective on what actually goes on there. But I am always impressed by him though. Like my sister will say, Rich, you should go on that show. I'm like, no way. There's no way I'm going on that show. <laughs> but I'm always impressed by when they do the challenges, you know, what these people come up with. And when they come and present their dish, mm-hmm. it's never just like, uh, I grill the steak and I put a potato on there and, you know, this is my dish. It's always this over the top, some somewhat, this is where I maybe think it's intimidating, intimidating kind of presentation or description of the dish, mm-hmm. right? Like, so I have a, today I have a, a locally harvested nut, organically grown that I pureed and paired with a risson mash reduction and put that <laughs> on a uh, canapé for you today, chef. You know, yeah, yeah. the way you describe <laughs> it all, it, it's very intimidating, but if you break it down, it's... You know, it was peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, you you can wordsmith anything and really dress it up. And you know, I, that's what you really have to tap into is mm-hmm. is your creative juices have to be firing on all cylinders, everything from what you're actually making to how you describe it. Right. Well, just knowing some of the terms, that's that's the key is you got to know some of the terms of what it means. It's French because it, they yeah. to sound. Is there like a chef like... Uh, thesaurus or dictionary sure. combo out yep. there you know that that you just have as a little pocket you know, pull it out and then mm-hmm. that way when somebody asks about it you can translate into fancy yeah exactly and and i'll tell you i i've i think i've done it and i bet you everyone out there listening has done this you're in a restaurant and you're looking at the menu and you're like uh that sounds good but i don't want to ask what that is <laughs> right if they just would make it a little more plain Maybe that menu item would sell better. I don't know. Or, or maybe yeah, I'm just yeah. stupid and don't get the terminology sometimes. But some of it can be, you know, just intimidating. Well, you know, it's just – I forgot which chef it was that I, that I saw. But they're like – they were making fun of the term aioli and how it's overused. And more often than not, it's just uh, a fancy <laughs> way of saying garlic mayonnaise. There you go. Exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. And I, I read something where um, apparently this actor that's on Family – um, Modern Family, this, the Jay Pritchett from Modern Family, yeah, made a comment about uh, charcuterie and that he said, well, that's what that is. He's said, I'd order that every time if I knew it was just a sausage and a a meat cheese. platter, a cheese platter, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so, just yeah that's the know. other thing. Yeah, it's intimidating just to pronounce some things. So you're like, I'll take the number seven. <laughs> yeah. Apologies, sir. There is no number seven. Our menu items are not numbered. <laughs> well, well, I'm, I'm t- I'll take the seventh one down on the left. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take this one right here. Yeah. Sounded good. So anyway, the Hell's Kitchen side will be fun. And also just hearing her story, right? Uh, she had a, uh, from what I read a little bit on growing up, you know, the culinary bug bitter and 
we hear that so often that people get some experience in their life. And then once you get the bug, it's like you're in the, you're in this industry. There's just no other way to say you're in it and you're in it for life. It feels like how it is a lot of times. So. Yeah. That's a lot of, a lot of them describe it as in their blood and their DNA. Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah, it's part of who you are and Mm -hmm. it's something that, yeah, lives with you the rest of your life, you know, Mm -hmm. which is a rarity for a lot of other professions, you know, to, to say that I'm going to, I'm a corporate marketer and that's who I am through and through. And I will, yeah. you know, after I retire, I'm going to keep doing marketing. It's like, nah, yeah, mm-hmm. that, that, not many professions where it, it has that type of carryover into your Correct. In, entire life. Exactly. All right. Well, today, uh, as I mentioned, we have Chef Brittany Radcliffe, who is currently the sous chef at Moorhead State University, and as I mentioned, our Hell's Kitchen alumni. So I think we'll get right to it. Brittany, welcome to the Volrath Feed. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here, guys. Oh, our pleasure. Our pleasure. You know, when I saw Moorhead State University, I was thinking Minnesota, but uh, you're actually Kentucky, you said, huh? Uh, yeah, yeah, the accent name. speaks differently. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. That's different. Yeah, I got okay. that good old uh, Appalachian accent there. Appalachian. <laughs> is that the correct? Uh, I would see. It I is, yeah. I'm right in that valley, like right in between uh, two big mountains. So right in between the Appalachian Mountains is where I'm at. Okay. Very good. Very good. Mountain girl born and raised. Fantastic. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, when we start out with, with chefs on the show, I love having chefs on the show. And I, one of the first things I always want to talk about is I think at some point, you know, we have we have this culinary journey and, and we decided at some point in our lives that we wanted to get into this industry. And once in it, we were always in it, right? So where did you start your culinary journey? Where did that start for you? Uh, my career started actually a little bit later in life than most people. I didn't start culinary school until I was... 2021 like in between that age uh but before that just this love of food from a very young age you know three four years old in the kitchen with my grandma but you know we grew up on a huge farm so uh my love for food actually comes from the ground which i know sounds crazy but ground it's it's the ground up for me i know where it comes from i know how to grow it i can preserve it so i thought why not turn that into a career right so it was with grandma at a very young age that that's got to have like mixed kind of reasons for getting and not only do you like the cooking side of it but doing something with grandma right that's cool exactly and it all came down to uh you know so i come from a family of bowler makers and you know that's a family of welders so they travel a lot they're away from home a whole lot so the women took care of uh everything back home and when the when the men came home you know they they were ready for that good old home cooking that you know (laughs) grandma and their wives did so you know i was taught from a young age how to you know care for a family i've been cooking for my family since i was shoot like 10 or 11 help raise my sisters Hmm. Uh, i'm the oldest of six girls my poor dad six Uh, girls (laughs) yes sir (laughs) wow (laughs) Uh, there's a 20 year and six month difference i'll be 33 on saturday and my youngest sister is 13 Wow. So, yeah, huge, huge age gap there. <laughs> Dad just wanted a boy and kept trying, or what happened there? Uh, he, he, poor man, he tried, but he did not get lucky in that at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's well, you know, Consistency you counts for something, for right? You know? <laughs> right? He, yeah. If anything, he is consistent. <laughs> <laughs> so what was one of the favorite things you'd like to make uh, for, for your family when you were growing up? What was like the go-to? It's like when it, the, the meal you don't have to think about. 
chicken and dumplings. Yeah, you go. Second nature, second nature. Uh, and I've taken that into my culinary career with me. So mm. my signature dish, you know, people, what people ask for around here is I do a duck and dumpling mm. instead of, uh, you know, a chicken and dumpling. I like to elevate Appalachian cooking as much as I can. So switched over to a nice little duck and dumpling and people just eat it up. They love it. Yeah, uh, sounds I, good. I, I'm on board with that. You know, I, I, I I've talked with Rich in the past about my love-hate relationship with dumplings because all too often you have people that just screw it up, you know? It's yeah. like it seems like it should be a relatively simple thing. And I'm not a chef by any stretch of the imagination, but it seems like a good dumpling should be a relatively easy thing to to perfect. And I've been to so many places where they just I don't know if it's just been sitting around too long and it's just this pile of mush that's getting in the way of my soup so so tell me what what is the key to a quality dumpling well it's going to depend on what part of kentucky you're in oh so all all over the state we do it different ways if you're going to go western kentucky they have more german influence there so you're going to see a flat dumpling so it's almost like a noodle there especially like yeah, a exactly, exactly. A uh, long, thin noodle that they'll throw in with, you know, their chicken stock and their, you know, whole chickens usually. So with me uh, being on Easter, the eastern side of the state, we do big fluffy dumplings. It's almost like a drop biscuit. Mm-hmm. So uh, nice and fluffy whenever you cut into it, huge, huge dumplings. So for me, it's all about the uh, the stock. So, you know, start with some, I do my own duck stock uh Excuse that noise in the background. I am in my kitchen. <laughs> um, so I do uh, my own duck stock, and I actually poach my big fluffy dumplings in my duck stock. So just all that flavor is all the way through your dish from start to start to finish. It's it's lick your plate good. It really is. Lick your plate good. Yeah. There's one. For, we got to write that one down. Yeah, lick your plate good. That's a good one. I've never had a uh, dish come back that someone didn't, didn't lick the plate after some duck and dumplings. <laughs> It makes the dishwasher job a lot easier, that's for sure. That's definitely right. <laughs> what is the, the dish that best would describe Appalachian cooking? What is that traditional dish? Uh, I know yours is chicken and dumplings. In uh, the region, what is the traditional go-to dish for, for Appalachian cooking? Oh, without bringing Colonel Sanders into this, it's fried chicken. Yeah. We do it better than Colonel Sanders does. Like, love his heart, but we do it We do it so much better in Kentucky than uh, than what KFC has to offer. So, you know, we, we love a good fried chicken around here. All about that crispy skin and, you know, nice moist chicken on the inside. We love it. Are you a chicken and waffle fan as well? Is that is that a thing I for you? I love chicken and waffles, but again, like I elevate my stuff a little yeah, bit. Yeah. So I do uh, a jalapeno and cornbread waffle with mine and a Nashville-style mm. hot chicken. Uh, uh, yeah. And I usually do that with uh, a pawpaw barbecue sauce, that, a Nashville hot sauce that I make myself because pawpaws are from this region. So pawpaws. I like to keep, yeah, a pawpaw fruit. So I do a Nashville hot sauce out of a pawpaw fruit, which is, it sounds crazy, but I promise it's delicious. All right. So so I I know that some of our listeners are going to need some additional uh, definition on a pawpaw. So would you mind uh, describing that in a little bit more detail? Something that's relatable? Of course. Um, So in Kentucky, we call a pawpaw a poor man's banana. Uh, So, you know, years and years and years ago when it was difficult to uh, get bananas around here, they were considered an exotic fruit. Uh, we noticed that there was a large mango-looking fruit growing in our trees around here, and when you cut into it, the smell, the taste, almost, the texture is super custardy. Uh, it's got a nice, like, rich richness to it that you just can't get from an actual banana. But yeah, that's the closest relative. Is we call it the poor man's banana around here, <laughs> wow. and it's it's 
on its way to being uh, pretty much extinct. It's it's difficult to find it uh-huh. around here oh. now. That's too bad. But, yeah, uh, we do have some local farmers that are getting back into that, and you know they're trying to bring back those native fruits and vegetables that we had here. You know, before cultivation started taking over. Is that the so, formal name? I mean, is that is that what the plant is called, or the? Or is that uh, a... I'm not sure. We've just that's <laughs> always like what I've grown up calling it. You know, back uh-huh. in the uh, back in the hills, whenever we'd go hunting, I can remember. You know, my dad or my papa like pulling one down out of a tree and cutting it open. We had sit and snack on it. You know, while we were hunting. Uh, Great. And I, it's always just been called a pawpaw. I couldn't tell you what its actual name is. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, that's a All great right, Rich, story. We, we need to add pawpaw to the list of things that we need to try. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. But so. that, that's a great memory, though, isn't it? Like, I'm, I remember growing up with my grandfather. He was a big gardener. So I, I one of my memories is we'd walk down the row, and he'd pick out a big kohlrabi, and he'd take his pocket knife out and carve it up, and he always had a little salt shaker, and he would shake it, and we'd eat kohlrabis <laughs> right there in the field. And to this day, I just love Robbie's and I love thinking about that time, right? What a, what, what see, a Kentucky thing to do, because we'd do the same thing, carry salt shaker in your pocket, <laughs> yeah. and then, you know, as you're harvesting your vegetables, you know, pull mm-hmm. a, a tomato off the vine and just bite yeah. into it like you do an apple. There's nothing like oh, it. Isn't that great? <laughs> Super. Ah, oh, so, but, you know, I do remember reading something about you that um, uh, you weren't always thinking you were going to be a professional chef, right? There was a time that you made a, you made a change, and... When was that and how how did that how did that go? I was actually only the second person from my family to go to college, uh, which is a huge deal. So for me, I wanted to make uh, my family proud. So I actually went into the medical field. I uh, was a medical student at the University of Kentucky and I was going for neurology. I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. <laughs> Where did wow. that come from? <laughs> That's a big goal. Um, this is going to sound crazy, but on the Discovery Health Channel, <laughs> I can remember watching that with my mom and dad growing up, and um, it was Life in the ER was the name of the television show that got me hooked. Uh, and then what kind of unhooked me from that is, uh, as much as I want to say I don't like people, I guess I really do like people because I started getting <laughs> attached to my patients that were obviously you know, critically ill. And mm-hmm. uh, we had lost two of the patients uh, during my time at the University of Kentucky. Oh. And uh, I was like, oh, I got really attached to these people. This is not for me. Like, I can't do this. Uh, so I just went back to my roots. I wanted to cook. So transferred from UK to uh, the culinary program at Sullivan University in Lexington, Kentucky. And it was, I was going to say all downhill from there, but it's been nothing but uphill. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I think sending people away happy with full bellies is... It's just as gratifying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How'd the family react to that uh, announcement that oh, their gosh. neurosurgeon daughter was now going <laughs> to go into Ooh, culinary? Uh, it was. It, they did not react well. My mother is the most supportive person in the entire world, so she didn't even bat an eyelash. She was just like, whatever you want to do, what's going to make you happy, that's totally fine. Uh, my father, on the other hand, uh, had a typical Eastern Kentucky response. It was, what are you going to do, work at McDonald's for the rest of your life? And uh, that was actually one of the last conversations that I had with him. He stopped talking oh. to me after that. So big deal. Yeah. Wow. Uh, my family takes it very serious. So wow. uh, I think I proved him wrong over the last well, few years. I feel like I I'm you so. know, up and coming in my field right now. So yeah. pretty happy with myself and happy with my career. And if you don't love your job, I don't know how you could go to work every day anyway. So that is you the know, truth. We talk to a lot of people. And uh, the, if something we hear over and over a lot of times is do it for the love, not the money. Exactly. I'm you know, not in this for the money. I just want to make people happy with food. You get to that point in your life. You just want to be happy in what you do. And and like you said, making people happy is, is important. Yeah. It makes you feel good. And that's where you're going to be happy, not 
continuing on with some career that you, you didn't like it as much, right? Exactly. You don't want to wake up every day dreading where you're about to go and spend, you know, eight to 10 hours. Like, you don't want to do that. I wake up every day excited to get in the kitchen. So I know I'm in the right spot. Right. And many of us have that luxury where that is the real challenge that we're faced with. That's the, the 21st century American dream and hustle is to find what you love to do. It right. can be a great challenge, but, you know, that's... We spend so much time at work, and we're fortunate enough to be able to to choose what we want to do for a living, and you, you put in the time and effort, and and really believe, and gets a couple of lucky breaks, you can do whatever you want to do. And man, yeah, exactly. life life's too short to do something that you you don't dig. And we push these four year degrees on kids that you know they don't. That's not even something they want to go into anyway. Mm-hmm. Trade schools, like a right. culinary school, is a trade school. And if that's what you want to do, then do it. Like it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you're not doing your job to make your family happy. You're doing it for you. So mm-hmm. you know that's the biggest thing is you know I was pushed into that university category where it was like you have to go to college. You have to. We want better for you than what happened for ourselves. And I understand that. But at the end of the day, university life just wasn't for me, and I needed to get into a trade school. So that's what I did. And no looking back, right? No looking back. Absolutely not. Yeah, mm-hmm. perfect. There, there's. I mean, our industry is a tough industry, though. I mean, let, let's acknowledge the the hours we work, the days, the the grind. It is not a nine to five, forty hour week anywhere. Absolutely so not. There's that side of our industry, but you know the other side, as you mentioned, is is the great thing you you have with people and so forth. But if you had to pick something, what is the the thing you think in in is it the hours and the work that you'd say the most negative thing or the least favorite part of our industry? I'll, yeah, I'd have to say that. And just uh, it's hard to have connections outside of work when you work a job the way that we do. So it's really difficult having just a normal relationship with someone sometimes because uh, it really gets in the way. Uh, especially if you're with someone that isn't as supportive of your career and, you know, the direction that you want to go with that. So I would say, you know, keeping those outside connections and making sure you you still have family time and time with your partner and, you know, time for yourself. Like Mm -hmm. us in this, you know, food industry, we don't really take time for ourselves a whole lot. So I preach that to my cooks a lot. You know what? Like if you need a mental health day, take it because I want you to come back the very next day, like tip top shape. I want you to be happy while you're here working with me. So, uh, yeah, I'd say easily that's the biggest thing. If you're, if you're not prepared for the hours, the overtime, the traveling, like I'm away a lot for my job. Uh, it's just not the field for you because Mm -hmm. your, your life is your job. I feel like. Yeah. Thankfully there's been this cultural shift within the back of house where, people are starting to replace the tyrant in the kitchen, you know, that the things that were common back in the day, the screaming and pots being thrown. And, but now you have people Hot like yourself to the back of the neck. Yeah. Well, that sounds like Ooh. personal experience. Oh, that, one, that one's happened a couple of times. Oh my <laughs> goodness. Yeah. A couple goodness. of times or that or a hot spatula to the back of the arm. That'll get you every time. Oh, huh. I've worked for some, Wow. Real fun chefs. All right. Well, wow. we, I think we need a deeper dive on this. So <laughs> I'm not going to name any names because well, I'm no, sure no, we're these, no, we, uh, we we don't ever go there. But I mean, yeah. I'm sure um, these men are still in the industry. But yeah, I um, messed up a volute sauce uh, in my very first year, like right out of culinary school. Hmm. Um, I'd messed up on a on a volute, and the chef was this 
just hard-headed French chef. Uh, we've all worked for him, I think. I don't think anyone has never, you know, not worked for a French chef. And uh, <laughs> he come through and smacked me on the back of an arm with the uh, back of my right arm. Actually, I still have a scar there with a spatula that he had set on the char grill with flames on it. No. Oh, and he my. said, bet you don't mess up a velouté again. I never have. Never messed up a single velouté in my life. <laughs> not after that. Whoa. <laughs> Yeah, wow. Capital punishment, though. Oh, I, mean, that's yeah. a- <laughs> I mean, it's a weird way to get someone to learn, but by God, did I learn <laughs> oh. real fast. Wow. That I've not, uh, that is, that's one of the most extreme I've heard. I mean, I've heard of some things, and but that's, that's, I mean, a hot spatula that's been on a charbroiler and leaving a scar like that, that's pretty severe. Oh, yeah. And Thankfully, it's, you know, it's a nice little war story to remind my cooks, like, hey, I'm not like this. Like, I can be hard-headed and just as tough yeah. as everybody else, but I'm not smacking you with hot spatulas as you walk through the kitchen because you messed something up. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, thankfully, things have changed. I think the old tyrant in the kitchen is going away. And I think also some of the the other side of the industry that I think, um, if you've been in it, you recognize is not always right, is some of the less than PC, less than political correct um, things that happen in the kitchen. Absolutely. And people talking and all that kind of stuff. So I'm glad that our industry is changing. It's becoming more professional like yourself, giving your chefs the up. The, the ability to take a day off. You don't take days off in, H- in hospitality. You don't. Absolutely you come in not. sicker than a dog and you let people send you home if you're that bad, but you come to work every day. I think we've uh, we've learned a lot in the last year of COVID. I know it's really put a lot of us behind and really it's just, it's hurt our industry more than anything else we've we've dealt with, at least in, in you know, uh, in my generation, this is, you know, we've never had to deal with a pandemic before. Mm-hmm. So, you know, over the last year, you've kind of had to learn and adapt. And we've realized that, you know, as much as I admire those cooks who will come in sicker, sicker than a dog on those days, I really just want them to be healthy and safe. So that way we can give our guests a healthy and safe uh, experience with us and they keep coming back. So their health and their safety, it's way more important to me than mine is. I'll be here seven days a week if I need to be, but I'm going to make sure that the staff is taken care of. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's changed, and that's a good thing that we we we've changed in that way for sure. You oh, you, yeah. you call them your 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 guest and your customer. You're talking about your your school food service. Yeah. Uh, you know that's that's interesting too because we've had a lot of people that that work in education and they do call them their guests and their customers. They don't call them the students or the client or anything. It's 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 very much a hospitality feeling in school food service now as well. Yeah, which is, you know, it's kind of an old school concept that, you know, was lost over over the years where our guests became our customers, our guests became our clients. And uh, I just feel like it's more personal if you treat them as your guest. Mm-hmm. Anyone that walks through my doors, whether it's a student, whether it's, you know, a professor, whether it is one of my big clients on campus, we're going to make sure that they're taken care of like a guest. It doesn't matter who you are or like what level you are within the university. You're a guest when you're in this building and we're going to treat you like that. Do you do a lot of, uh, or before COVID, I guess, were you doing a lot of uh, catering on the campus as well? Absolutely. It was, my catering was booming. I usually would take maybe four or five days off during the summer, and then I get a little bit of break around Christmas, probably five days max. And then, you know, I hit the first of the year running. So uh, catering is the bulk of what I would do uh, really? this semester or the last two semesters, sorry. Uh I stepped into the residential facility, which is where, you know, the majority of our students are going to eat. So 
it's been a blessing and a curse, I think, is the best way to put it. <laughs> I love the staff over here. Um, I love the students. I never really have an issue with any of the students, but uh, getting to spend a lot more time with the residential cooks and training them one-on-one and showing them different ways to do things and like bringing, bringing that catering element to residential dining, I think, is has been one of my biggest challenges over the last two semesters. But luckily, we've got really receptive cooks, so I've been really blessed over the last year to work with some of the people that I've gotten to work with and train and, you know, kind of elevate residential dining as much as we can, you know. Are you and your staff employees of the university or are you sourced from another company? So I actually work for a company called Airmark. So, okay. you know, we yeah. do everything from healthcare to prison system, K through 12, sure. business and leisure. We do everything. So uh, we hire all of our own staff. Our biggest thing is getting uh, more student workers. You know, I have a bunch of full-time people, but we really want to bring in the students from campus and, you know, put them into positions where uh, some of them, this is the first job they've ever had. A few of them have been with us for a few years and, you know, they work their entire college career with us. So it gets them, you know, the job experience that they're looking for going into their field after graduation, give them a little taste of real life. Like, you know, you have to keep up with your schoolwork and your job on your own now. You're you're an adult. Mm -hmm. You're going to be in the real world soon. So that's what we like to do is hire as many student workers as possible. I remember that one of the most coveted student uh, kitchen jobs was running the pizza oven. And I, <laughs> what what is the most sought after position for for a student? What do they like to to do? And what do they they talk amongst themselves? We're like, hey, if you this is the best gig you can get here. So you notice a lot of differences between generations. So this year, I've noticed that a lot of the students are gearing towards, and it's going to sound crazy, cashiers. They want to be cashiers. They want to be kind of that front face and, you know, deal with the cash and have that one-on-one experience with the clients. And then other than that, honestly, catering. I have student workers all the time that are wanting, anytime I have catering, they're like, how do we get into this? How do we, you know, help you with this? So uh, catering is one of the most coveted, but this, the last two semesters, cashiers. Huh kind of like blows my mind. I think the kitchen is starting to scare this younger generation a little bit. You know, you can get burned, you can get cut. The steam is scary. So I try to, you know, steam is scary. It's terrifying. So I try to, you know, break them of that a little bit. Like, yeah, you know what? You probably are going to get a little bit of a burn eventually. You probably are going to nick your finger one time. You'll never do it again. Probably you're going to be way more careful with a knife after that. But it's uh, it's been difficult getting people to you know want to be in the kitchen. So I'm hoping you know with me being here that maybe I've brought some of that excitement back to you know wanting to get into the kitchen and learn and do new things. So our pizza ovens are really scary too. Apparently we've got three big brick oven pizzas and it it is hot mm. around those pizza ovens. So well, you but, got legit brick oven pizzas. You know, I mean, yeah, uh, man, mm. I would. That's where I want to be. You know? And we, no we're doing personal pan pizzas this semester. So the students come in, they build their own pizza, and then, you know, we fire it in the oven three minutes. They're out the door and onto their class. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're eating that up this semester. No pun intended. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but you know your comment about people choosing the, the cashier in the nice air-conditioned clean environment versus the kitchen, that might have something to do with it as well. I know kitchen, that's they one of the things. They love it they have to clean the bathroom. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, can't all you know, be peaches and cream, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yep, you've got a good job, but the public yeah. restrooms, they're your responsibility. Have oh, fun. Oh, <laughs> boy, that's a trade, that's for sure. Because in the kitchen in the summer, it, it can be brutal. And then it's just, it's you leave smelling like the kitchen, and there's, there's a lot of things about the kitchen, which kind of makes me want to talk to you about, like, any of the people that that you've 
mentored in the in the kitchen that have come in as students and they find that they they're like us we've been in the business somehow somebody exposed it to us and now they think ah this is what i want do you Mm. ever have conversations with people like that and what do you tell them two within the last month actually wow Uh, they're both students here at msu and they both started off as you know student workers over the last year and i have one that's transferring to um a school in Texas. This is his last semester with us. And he's actually going to start going to culinary school. Uh, We had some little conversations there. You know, I told him if that's really what you want to do, like you can start in a kitchen the way most of us do, you know, work in the dish pit and just work your way up. First day someone calls off a station, you volunteer to get on that station and you just take it over. So, uh, you know, I really built him up over the last semester and he's finally, you know, taking the plunge. He's going to go to culinary school. And then I've got another one here. She's also a student. Um, She's just a part-time student, but she expressed uh, the week before last that she actually, you know, was thinking about, you know, maybe wanting to be a chef. So I'm going to kind of take her under my wing next semester and see what happens, see what, see what I can build. Hmm, Very cool. That's got to be fun to have those uh, educational opportunities. You know it just I mean? makes you feel so warm when someone comes to you and they're like, I love what you do. Can you teach me? It's mm. one of those things where it's like, man, like this is why I do what I do to kind of like inspire and instill that in other people, like that love of food that, you know, maybe they didn't get that from their family and they came here and, you know, they witnessed me throw in as much love as I can into my food. And they're like, oh man, I want to do that. Like I want to, I want to see that like joy on someone's face when you, you know, take them a plate of food that they love. You you just mentioned something that made me think of a, a way that I, I commonly talk to people about the kitchen. You mentioned family. It becomes that way, doesn't it? It's something about hospitality, working closely with people like that in our environment, the hours, the days, whatever it is, you get to feel like family, right? Yes. You know, my blood family all lives pretty far away and uh, I don't, I don't drive. I am actually legally blonde. uh, So I don't do like a lot of, I know. (laughs) So I, I don't do a lot of driving and, you know, we all work, you know, my family actually works in the restaurant industry. My mom's side of the family does. Uh, so, you know, we're all busy and it's just hectic. So I'm so glad that I have, you know, my kitchen family here. Uh, my assistant, you know, he's, he's up and coming. He's, he's going to be a great chef once I get done with him, hopefully, if he retains <laughs> everything that I teach him. Uh, but yeah, the cooks and the front of house staff and even like, you know, the managerial staff that we have here, it's, it's definitely a family that I appreciate having because, you know, I don't have my blood family here, but I can always rely on them two, three o'clock in the morning. If I need something, they're going to be at my house in 10 minutes. Uh-huh. It just exactly. doesn't get any better than a kitchen family. I don't think. No, that's true. I agree. Do you ever find um, your vision? And does that hit, does you have any? It's okay, obviously close up. I guess is it is it worse yes. for? Um, reading is difficult, but luckily, like once I get one recipe, it's kind of just ingrained in my brain for the rest of my life. <laughs> but I've adjusted to you know feeling. So you know holding yeah. your knife the way that you're supposed to, and you know filling it up mm-hmm. against that knuckle has really helped me a whole lot. I've had some minor adjustments because this isn't something that I was born with. Uh, it's something that's happened over the last two years. I've been steadily, you know, losing my vision and it's not going to get any better. It's going to continue. So I'm not leaving the kitchen. It doesn't matter if I'm completely blind, I'm going to continue to adjust. So I've got both of my kitchens completely memorized. I haven't ran into a wall in like eight months. I'm doing good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh You know, that's, that just really sums up the restaurants and food service in general is just, you know, you adapt adaptability. Just look at the entire last year is everyone's ability to adapt to survive. And then from that, you learn new and better ways to do things. So I mean, that's that's incredible. And I, I'm sorry to hear about about your vision, but, you know, the, your your perseverance and, and willingness to to continue your craft is going to open up new and interesting doors, I'm sure. 
Oh, I hope so. Like that's that's what I'm shooting for. I know it's going to be, you know, and the next few years are going to be tough. But uh, like you said, I'm I'm going to adapt. It's something that we learn in the kitchen from the first day we get in a kitchen. You're constantly adapting, and then uh, the more adaptation that we've had to, it's kind of been like a day to day basis over the last year, you know, uh, for everybody. And then you know, throw in going blind on top of that, and I'm just going to keep adapting until someone tells me that I'm a danger to other people in the kitchen. So. Until they kick me out, I'm going to be in that kitchen. <laughs> oh, good for you. Good for you. That's the attitude you got to have, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, one other area we talked about um, in the front of the show was your experience in another area of culinary, which is kind of fun for uh, Justin and I. here. We watch uh, a lot of the shows on TV. We want to talk about your Hell's Kitchen experience. That must have been an interesting time for you. It was so much fun like i'm glad that i can look back on it now and be happy about it because like in the moment you're not that happy about it (laughs) (laughs) well that's what we want to hear we want to hear the good stuff i mean are you able to talk about some of that or yeah um the season just ended Mm -hmm. not last week but the week before so i'm like completely able to talk about everything um we filmed two years ago before COVID, so anyone who watched the show, I got a lot of hate messages about not wearing a mask. <laughs> a lot of hate messages. Like, I can't believe you guys did this without wearing a mask. We filmed in 2019, y'all. We filmed <laughs> way before COVID hit. It was, you know, a three-week filming, and, you know, we were out and back home before you knew it. Um, so it was uh, it was crazy, and it kind of happened on a whim. Uh, I'd hit, like, a culinary roadblock at work. It was almost like I just, like, I couldn't get out of this box I'd put myself in. And I kept telling myself, like, you need to do something or you're going to end up out of this field. Like, you're going to have to find something else to do. You're just not happy anymore. And I was scrolling through Instagram one night, just, you know, in my feelings. And there was an ad for a Hell's Kitchen application. And I took a chance. I had an email within 24 hours. I had a phone interview within, like, 32 hours. And then the very next day, I did a video interview. Hmm. And then I found out a month later that they wanted to fly me out to meet producers to see if they liked me and see if I looked good on camera, of course, because uh, that's it's real. It's reality television. Right. right. Uh, so they got to make sure that you're you're going to look good and like represent yourself plus your state as yeah. well as you can. <laughs> if you've watched this <laughs> season, you know that there are some people that did not. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it was a once in a lifetime experience. Walking into that very first episode, they did not forewarn us that uh, Chef Ramsey was going to walk in. So they had us in Hell's Kitchen in uh, Las Vegas in uh, next to Caesar's Palace. And we were having champagne and getting to know our other castmates because that was the very first time we met each other. And then Gordon Ramsay walks into the room and you kind of have this like starstruck moment like, oh, holy crap, like this is real. Like this is actually happening. And uh, it was a whirlwind of emotions, like someone that you've looked up to for years, followed their career. I've watched every single season of that show. Never in my life thought that I was going to be on it. Mm. (laughs) So it was, he is an amazing person. I have nothing bad to say about Gordon Ramsay. He is easily the best chef that I've ever had the pleasure of working side by side with just caring and passionate. And yes, the yelling is real. (laughs) That's uh... what I was just going to ask. Like (laughs) caring and passionate. You screw up the risotto or the scallops. That's it. He loses it, right? Or is yeah, that just... it takes the you know it takes the best to step foot in that kitchen. They they don't take anyone that they um, don't believe is going to be able to cut it. So just the fact that you know Ramsey and the producers and everyone who's associated with Hell's Kitchen thought that I was good enough to step foot in that kitchen and cook right alongside him. 
uh, is a big deal as it is, but he is so passionate and he just expects the best out of everyone. And if you don't give him the best, you're going to hear about it. You're going to get called a donut. You're going to get called an idiot. Like it's, you know, it's television, those are they, but those are the words they can use on television. Cause there's a lot of them that they don't let through. Right. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot that they don't. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I have a kitchen mouth. Uh, <laughs> I'm controlling it right mouth. now. Yep, I like to call it a kitchen mouth. So um, <laughs> I come from a religious family. So my grandma was going to watch the first episode, and I don't know if you guys watched the season, but I ended up I being did. a gif because of that. Uh, <laughs> they turned me into a little gif where I'm like asking my nanny to please not watch the show because I said the f word, and then I panicked <laughs> because I knew my nanny was going to be watching at least the first episode, and I said, "Oh Lord." <laughs> I am in trouble. <laughs> this woman is going to have my neck. And sure enough, she watched that first episode and she called and she said, Brittany Hope, oh my stars. <laughs> she said, I can't believe your language on that show. They had to bleep you out so many times. <laughs> you tell her, no, they add that in just, just for color. You know, I really wasn't saying anything bad. <laughs> right? Oh, that's no, funny. Like, it was just television nanny, I promise. <laughs> just TV magic, you know. <laughs> I was just acting. I don't really talk like that. I do. Hope she doesn't listen to this podcast. Yeah, I hope but... she... <laughs> no one her. She probably will. She's such a supporter uh, that she watches and listens to everything, even if you know she's awesome. gonna pull my ear for it later. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but no, you know, so, I'm still in contact with my castmates. I talk to them pretty much every single day. I walked away with the greatest support system I've ever had because of this awesome. television show. That is so cool. It's it's been amazing. Well, it's it's unique to hear about like genuine experiences happening outside of a, a, a TV production, particularly a reality one, you know, and that's that's really refreshing and gives a lot of authenticity and credit to to the show. Right. So that's that's really, really nice to hear, you know, and one thing I like about Gordon is that he's just not all the hellfire and the shouting, everything. You, you watch some of his other productions and he is a pretty well-rounded emotional person. You know, as far as his ability to, you know, like when he works with kids, he's way different than when he works with adults. Completely different person. Yeah. So, like, I don't know if you've seen the trailer for the new season or not of Hell's Kitchen. It premieres May 31st on Fox, which is a Monday, which is super weird. Uh, we're usually <laughs> on on Thursdays, but uh, it's called Young Guns. So, at the time <laughs> of filming, we filmed our season, and literally they had a week turnaround, and they filmed the season right after us. So, 2019, back-to-back filming for Chef Ramsay plus the crew, and I'm pretty sure they were filming MasterChef or MasterChef Junior at the same time. I think it was MasterChef. Yeah, so he was, I don't know if he sleeps or not. I think he might actually be a robot. We don't <laughs> we don't know for sure. Uh, but, I mean, he did get wet on the show and he didn't, like, nothing happened. So maybe he's not a robot. Um, well, but, yeah, iPhones so. are waterproof these days. So, you <laughs> right. know, I'm sure they got the technology. <laughs> uh, but the kids that were, I call them kids, you know, they're 10 years younger than me. But they were all 23 and younger stepping foot into that kitchen. At 23 years old, I was barely out of culinary school. I could not imagine going up against the man himself. So I am extremely excited for the new season. Hmm. I can't wait to watch it. I've got it set, ready to record. Like, can't wait to see what these kids can do. And uh, it's really fun. So, you know, I'm scrolling through Facebook today. They just released the announcement of the new season. And I didn't realize how many of these kids were I'm already friends with on Facebook. So mm. they've all been flying under the radar for the last two years. And now my Facebook feed is just flooding with these kids that are, you know, posting their pictures and getting to talk about how, you know, two years ago they filmed Hell's Kitchen. And, you know, now it's finally releasing. So it's really cool getting to see it from someone who was inside and now outside of that. You know, the excitement. I'm right there with them. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, I've been friends with you guys 
guys for the last uh-huh. year and I had no idea that, you know, you guys are going to be on Hell's Kitchen. So it's been really cool seeing it from that perspective. Yeah, that's got to be a crazy experience for them, you know, being, you know, 23 and younger, two years is an incredible amount of time. You'd be like, oh my gosh, you know, it's, it's, it might be painful for them to watch. You're like, I can't believe I yeah. I looked like that or I did it. I did yep. something that way, you know? It's yes. just because I mean, amount- I know I've been in the field for, you know, over 10 years and like going back and watching the show, I was like, oh my God, I cannot believe I did that. <laughs> and now it's just like, these kids are 23 years old and, you know, they're two more years into their career at this point. They probably learned so much over the mm-hmm. last two years and now they're, they're going to get to go back and watch their season and be like what in the world was wrong with me why did i do it like that so i couldn't imagine being that young in your field and you know going through that critical of a television show with you know easily one of the best chefs you know in the world right now uh so it's it's gonna be exciting i can't wait to see all their posts about you know the upcoming episodes and then you know what they have to say after each elimination i'm really excited for Hmm. it so why do people struggle so much? Is it just the pressure? Is it the is it the grind of the schedule? Is it? It's the pressure. It's the schedule. It's uh, being two feet away from Gordon Ramsay and just being in his presence is kind of overwhelming as it is. But there's a lot that happens behind the scenes that the fans don't get to see. Like what? Like so, what? That's you know we go through uh, anywhere from like sixteen to eighteen hour filming days sometimes. Whoa. Yeah, so, so it's not uh, just service. <laughs> no, it's not just service. It's an all-day filming. You're always on camera, always. So it's 24/7 filming. There's cameras in your dorm room. There's cameras in your, you know, shared spaces in your kitchen. There's cameras, you know, pointing into the bathroom, so you can kind of like, obviously not in the bathroom, but like pointing in towards, so you can see, you know, the sink and the mirror and stuff. And then you're mic'd up 24/7 while I'm sleeping. My microphone is right beside my head on my, you know, nightstand. They, they, they record you all night long in case someone, you know, wakes up in the middle of the night and something starts happening. They don't want to miss it. Um, so that kind of pressure is, it's crazy. Even while you're showering, you know, you go in to take a shower, you hang your mic up right outside of your, right outside the shower. So hmm. they're even, you know, mic it, you're mic'd up like while you're showering pretty much. Uh, so that kind of pressure is kind of wild, you know, uh, knowing that you're being watched by big brother 24 seven. So, you know, mm-hmm. you get your wake up call in the morning, uh, sometimes like anytime between, you know, five and 6 a.m. and sometimes 7, 8 a.m. They might let you sleep in a little bit, depending on the challenge for the day or what time dinner service starts that night. Um, and it's just it's just straight straight through filming. You get kind of, you know, eating food over a trash can like you typically do in a kitchen and then like straight on to the next scene. Um but I can. Uh, the biggest question everyone asks is, you know, is it scripted? Is this a scripted show? It is not. It's not scripted. We're not told what to do. Producers don't step in and do anything to, you know, affect filming. Nothing like that. So it's easily the biggest question. It's just hours and hours and hours of footage that they piece together at the end of the day. It's kind of kind of crazy. Is there any yeah. instruction at all? Do they do they um, have minor instruction? So like for example, uh the let's go with the second day that I was there. First day was kind of uh, up and down all over the place. So they they couldn't really give us a lot of direction that day. Uh, but the second day we had a challenge of course, and then dinner service was that night. So we got wake up call that morning. And when I say wake up call, I mean, they turn the lights on in your dorm and they're fluorescents. So, you know, bright lots after you've not really slept maybe three or four hours that night, it's, it's going to wake you up. Um, and then maybe a producer will come in and kind of tell you like, hey, you know, get get ready. So you'll get a call from one of the sous chefs. They'll call the dorm rooms and they'll tell you, you know, 
get to the kitchen immediately. Um, and then from there, there's like little spots in between. So that first challenge, um, it was act, like run outside and act excited. And then they would stop filming. So that way they could reset everything. And then it's like, all right, pick up where you left off. Everybody's still excited. We're running to the next scene. We're doing this and then stop film again. So it's a lot of hurry up and wait sometimes. Uh, but no, there's really not any kind of direction. They want to catch you organically and in the moment, you know, your reactions and how you do something. It's, it's all us, you know? What was one of the things you found the most surprising about the entire experience? Something that just really kind of like maybe made you, made you take a step back or kind of blew your mind in a way? There's a few different things, and it's more like going back and rewatching the shows. It's kind of fun seeing the setup. So um, confessional. Like you guys know, confessional yeah. between, you know, they're talking yeah. to you and they're trying to get all the dirt, you know, what's going yeah. on and they want you to talk about everybody. Uh, so the way that that room is set up is kind of crazy. It's almost like an optical illusion. So when you're seeing this on television, we're, you know, we're sitting there in that room, but the way everything is placed is so strategic that on camera, it looks like you're, you know, I think sometimes we were sitting in a kitchen oh, and then other the times we were sitting in a, um, now, I think it was just like like a wine type area. Like there was like wine bottles and everything everywhere. So where it looked like those items were in like watching the show, uh, that's not at all how it was placed inside confessional. It's all just kind of if you walk in, it looks like a huge mess. And then you sit down and you film and it all kind of like comes together, which to me was just it's crazy to see that because it's like I don't remember it looking like that. Whenever <laughs> I, like, I walked in the doors um, and you're also not talking to a person. Like, while you're doing your mm -hmm. confessional, it's a robot. <laughs> so you're having a conversation with a robot, which can be, it can feel impersonal. But luckily, like, the production staff is so awesome that they were really good about asking questions and uh, making us feel like, you know, we were in there with a person. So it was, that's always really interesting to, like, watch on the, uh, on television. Like, watch that back. Kind of crazy. Yeah. Well, I, that makes me think of another thing. How true was the editing to what the experience was for you was it did they do a pretty good job of representing in the final I feel like edit they did yeah i feel like uh especially on my end i feel like i got the better end of things there are a few things i'm unhappy with but you know i'm not allowed to talk about that um but it's more <laughs> for other people but for me i feel like they they portrayed me as who i am uh they didn't i was worried you know coming from eastern kentucky we kind of have uh that stigma that we're backwoods rednecks so i was kind of terrified that i was putting myself into a position where um I'm not stupid, but maybe that's the way they were going to show me. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was a constant, like always in the back of my mind, like, gosh, like watch what you say, like be careful the way you say things. It could be spun any way you want to, but getting to watch it back, they didn't make me look simple. They didn't make me look stupid. They didn't make me look like I was, you know, unintelligent or not good in my field. They, I, th I feel like they did a great job representing me. Can't speak for my other castmates because, you know, there's a few things I disagree with, but uh, I feel like Amber just got a really bad rap. Like if you guys watch my season, it, Amber mm -hmm. just did not come off well at all. And Amber's someone who I reach out to all the time for help. She is easily one of the most talented chefs I've ever had the pleasure of working with and knowing and can say that I, I confide in. So she is a great person, great chef, super talented. And personally, I didn't like the way she was portrayed. So, But, you know, I'm sure all of us had little quirks and things that we didn't really want portrayed on television. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, ended up on television for you know, the whole nation to see the world, I guess, because it aired, yeah. you know in Australia and the UK before it aired here in the States, which was kind of crazy. Hmm. So do you think the, the, the eliminations that are certain people kind of held 
in the uh, kept in the game or kept in the show because of their drama that they bring. Like who was it this season? Um, he was always drama, always fighting with people. Mark. Is, yeah. So, Unfortunately, I think that like that's just his personality, which kind of sucks because uh, he. I feel like Mark is a leader. He's not one that I talk to. Uh, I've only spoken to him maybe twice since the season, since we filmed. Um, so for me, like our personalities just didn't mesh well together, which is fine. Like you're going to meet that in your industry, no matter what, if you're on television, if you're in a kitchen, it doesn't matter. Like you're going to meet someone that you just don't get along with, you know? Uh, so I feel like that was, you know, I just didn't mesh with Mark very well, but no, I, he's very talented. If you look at his post on Instagram, he has a very successful uh, restaurant. I think he's in New Mexico, maybe. I hope I'm not wrong on that. Um, but he is so, so talented, and his aesthetic is beautiful. So I don't think that they kept I – ho- I think that they just kept him around because, like, they just wanted to see more from him. And mm. there were just so many big personalities in my season that, you know, they just clashed, and that drama was just natural. So it just it just kind of happened that way, mm. but no, I, I really don't think that you know production they keep people around just for the just for the drama on that. It just it happens so natural when you get big personalities like that in a cooped up little space and you know no contact mm-hmm. with the outside world whatsoever. You know they took our phones from the very first day, mm. and you just there's no radio, there's no television, you don't know what's going on in the news. You, hell, you don't even know what's going to happen in the weather the next day <laughs> because you're you're so cut off. So I mean, you know, a lot can happen. It's a, it's a lot of stress to put on a person. So maybe a side of themselves came out that isn't normally who they are. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. I mean, you know, it's like a detox clinic in a lot of ways, you know, yes. because you you don't have that that phone addiction. So you you could be going through some withdrawal symptoms that might make you behave in a way that you normally wouldn't. Exactly. And if you're yeah. you know you're used to talking to your family every day, and then all of a sudden it's yeah. just it's just gone. That connection is just gone. So it, it can be a lot to deal with. It, it can be really, really difficult. And I know for me, I know that it affected me because like you're talking to me now and I'm outgoing, I'm loud, I'm just, I, I'm kind of in your face as a person. And on the show, I was super reserved. And I think it was because like I lost that connection to other people. I was thrown into, you know, living with people who I'd never met before. We'd never cooked together. We don't know each other, you know? Mm-hmm. So for me, it was just like, oh, I need to take a step back and like see how I fit into this group. And then, you know, my personality never really got to come through because I was so concerned with all of my surroundings. There's just so much going on. Yeah. So that was one of the things I always wondered about was, you know, when you're in there and you're on the line and you guys have to coordinate this, all this stuff, how do you work on your timing with people you've never cooked with before? If there isn't any like training, they don't, they don't teach you how to make the dishes that they must give you some instruction on those dishes or not really. As she laughs. Yeah. It was a uh, first day of dinner service. I remember they pulled us from our dorms, brought us into the kitchen and chef Christina Wilson and chef Jason Santos, who were our mm-hmm. two sous chefs this season. Yep. Amazing. Brilliant. Wonderful chefs. I feel so lucky to be able to like, just stand next to them. Uh, it was like maybe 45 minutes to an hour where we learned the most extensive menu that Hell's Kitchen has ever seen. Our menu was the largest in mm. uh, in television, like Hell's Kitchen history. 45 minutes? Uh, That's how you learned that menu? 45 minutes to an hour, and we didn't even get our hands on it. They cooked it. We watched. We took as many notes as we could and then executed that, that evening. Wow. Oh. So it can be a lot of pressure, especially for – People like uh, myself who like catering is not the same as working in a kitchen, you know, like having your line cooks and like 
completing orders as they come in, you know, having ticket times. That's not something that I've done in years. It's been probably, oh gosh, I hate to admit it, probably nine years since I've been on a line. Uh, I've been in catering for that long. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it's, you kind of think that you're not going to remember how to do it, but it's almost like riding a bicycle. (laughs) Uh, Once you get thrown back into that line, once once you learn everyone else's pace, uh, it's really easy to just fall into a good rhythm with each other or on nights where you've seen us get out of the kitchen, we just didn't click. You know, we couldn't get on the same page. It happens. Happened mm-hmm. to the girl's side. Happened to the boy's side. You know, yeah. it it just happens. Uh, it happens that way in kitchens every day. It doesn't yeah. matter if you're on television or not. You just have those nights where you're just not clicking with each other. Sure. And same way with us. Difference in the in the real world is you got to power through it and get. You have to do service because there's no backup right. chefs to complete service for those guests, which I hear there is on the show. Is that right? Um, so usually what would happen is sometimes the, like, let's say the red team got kicked out of the kitchen, the blue team would finish up those dishes on occasion or chef Ramsey himself, uh, chef Christina, chef Jason, you know, they would step in and complete those orders. Um, luckily I'm trying to remember a time where we did get kicked out of the kitchen where we weren't almost completely through with service. Uh, we were almost completely done. So there wasn't a lot of tickets left. So usually, you know, people would step in and finish that up. So someone, you know, our guests could eat. Now, I know that there have been, uh, just based off of conversations with past contestants, because that's not the, you know, my, my castmates are the only people, the only family I picked up from this. Uh, other cast people from past seasons reach out to us, and I'm really good friends with Ashley Nickel from season, uh, was she in season 16, I think? Or 14? I can't even remember her season. That's awful. She's going to kill me. Um, <laughs> she's She's been on two seasons, actually. Chef Ashley Nickel was. Uh, so like, I know from like her season, there was talks of, you know, there were guests that walked out and said that they didn't get to eat. Hmm. Um, so I'm, I can't say that it doesn't always happen, huh. but I'm sure that there are, there are occasions where, you know, the guests kind of get, know what they're getting into. You might eat at Hell's Kitchen tonight and you might not, depending on who <laughs> chef kicks out of the kitchen. <laughs> You'll have a memory either way. <laughs> oh yeah. Like it's, it's definitely yeah. one to behold, yeah. especially, you know, you got that chef's table where there's, you know, usually a celebrity sitting there. So, you know, it, all kinds of cool stuff happening. Even, even if you, the guest doesn't get to eat. Yeah. Huh. Wow. I, well, I, I have to say it's, it's a lot more real than I thought. I thought more of it was staged, like the challenges. I'm always impressed by what people come up with on the challenges. We were kind of talking about on the first half of the show with some of the things that people put together on the fly and they and they present that dish. I'm I'm pretty impressed by it always. And that's that's live as you see it. There's no It is live. We don't know wow. what's going to happen. We don't know about the challenge until we're standing in front of Chef Ramsey and he's telling us what that challenge is. Uh, wow. So I got well. He did that with us on our signature dish too. They completely tricked us on that. This hmm. season was the first season where you didn't get to cook your nose. No, the second season because there was a season before where they made everyone switch their signature dishes a few seasons ago. So you actually had to cook someone else's signature dish. But for us, you know, they brought out that big spinning wheel, which made us, you know, pick our protein, a vegetable, and a and a starch item. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'd spent the whole night before because producers had called and they're like, "Hey, this is the signature dish we want you to do. You submit three." recipes and then producers decide you know which one you're actually going to to do for your signature dish so i submitted three it's been years ago i'm positive that one of them was a duck dish and i think that's the one that they told me they wanted to uh 
they wanted to be my signature dish. So I spent all night like just going over and over my recipes and like my timeline of like, okay, like I need to fire this at this time. I'm going to have like X amount of time to get this done and this done and this done. And like, I need to start plating at this time. So I had it all down to a science. And then we walk into that big room and Chef Ramsey brings out that big wheel and he's like, oh, guess what? You're not doing your signature dish. <laughs> so like that was a challenge wow. on its own where it's just like, hmm. hey, we don't know what your protein or anything's going to be. You have 30 minutes. Have fun. Mm. <laughs> so, no, I, it, it is 100% on the fly. You have no idea what's going to happen next. I can't even wow. imagine. I give you all so much credit because I, I look and I'm always impressed. And then there's a part of me that was like, eh, it probably isn't quite like I'm seeing. <laughs> but it absolutely is. And that's, that's super is. impressive. That is it, super You know, it kind of shocked me, too, after watching the show because I'm, I'm like you. I kind of thought, you know, there's got to be a little bit of staging that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there isn't. Like, you are thrown into a challenge the day that the challenge happens. You have the amount of time they tell you that you have. We found out about the shrimp challenge uh, about four minutes before, you know, he had us all standing out there and then was like, Hey, so, you know, you're going to do you know a, a shrimp challenge today. And then we, they filmed us running inside and then they stopped film and they reset everything. And then they're like, okay, when we say action, like you're on, like go cook. And that was it. So you had, yeah. you know, maybe three or four minutes to think about what you could possibly do. Wow. And that time goes quick. <laughs> wow. Coming out of the show, what are some things that you brought home with you? Um, I, geez, I, uh, it's so embarrassing to like, it's, it's not really embarrassing. I guess it's personal growth, isn't it? Um, <laughs> so for me, I'm, I was so in my head so much at one point, I guess chef Ramsey had noticed that I was like in my head and he looked at me and, uh, I am going to cuss. So if you need to bleep me or if I need to like pull back a little <laughs> bit, please, please just let, let it, me know. Um, let it fly. He looked at me and he was like, Brittany, what the fuck are you doing? You're just cooking. So get your ass in the, like, get your head in the game, get your ass in the kitchen and fucking cook for me. And I was like, he's right. I am just cooking. I do this every single day. Like, why am I overthinking what I do on a daily basis? Completely changed my train of thought. And I was able to bring that back with me where it's like I start stressing about I have 15 catering events in one day and I only have two people helping me and it's just like boom 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 and then it's like Brittany you're just cooking like listen to Chef Ramsey like get your head out of your ass and cook like you know how Mm. to do it so just do it so I got to bring that back with me and you know teach my teach my cooks the same thing it's like dude at the end of the day you're just cooking if you mess it up start over you have time like make it the best that you can yeah it's not heart surgery right you're not gonna lose anybody (laughs) <laughs> exactly. So start it over. Don't be afraid to start over. Ramsey told me that two or three times. Like if, if you've messed something up, like don't give me something subpar. I'm not going to like that. Start over. Do it again. He said, and when it's perfect, bring it to me. So if you guys watched my salmon episode, then you know that like I messed up on one salmon. He yelled at me. <laughs> I did not get called a name. Luckily, he just told me to get my head out of my ass. And I was like, you're right. Like, it's just salmon. So went back and I was able to fire off like four or five more after that. And I had it. <laughs> I was way too into my head. And yeah. you know, I still slip up every once in a while and get in my head and let my anxiety control things. But I just try to step back into Hell's Kitchen. I don't, yeah. I didn't think I would ever say that. <laughs> I step back into Hell's Kitchen and reevaluate where I am. And I'm like, all right, cook. You're good at it. Just do it. <laughs> oh, man. What a great thing to take home. That is, that's, that's a great takeaway. It's so valuable for everybody. Just what do you break it down, right? Exactly. Figure out what it's it so is simple. exactly. Yes. Well, I, I, listen, we, we would love to have you back on the show sometime, but I think we have to put a bull on this one. And um, I, I really thank you so much. This has been a fantastic 
Super fun episode for me and Joe Justin as well. But before we let you go, we, we always talk to our guests and, and at some point in your life, has there been something that someone said to you, a quote that you've read or something that inspires you? So I do daily affirmations in the mirror every morning. My uh, fiance thinks I'm absolutely crazy because I spend about 10 minutes hopping myself up in a mirror every morning. But I tell myself every single day, whatever you do today, do it with determination. And I don't leave the house without telling myself that first every day. Mm. That's a good one. That's yep. awesome. I, I dig that. Sometimes those little things ringing in the back of your head help you make sure you're doing the right thing all day, right? Exactly. Perfect. Excellent. All right. Anything else? Um, any, any, if people were looking to, to um, connect with you and, and uh, anything like that, anything you want to say as far as where they can find you? or? Yeah. Uh, you guys can find me on Instagram. Uh, my handle is at Chef Brittany Ratcliffe. Um, and then you can also find me on Facebook as, you know, Brittany Ratcliffe, I'm myself. <laughs> so I've got a big fan, fan base on both platforms and I just talk food and post pictures of food, 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 food all day long. So, awesome. and you'll get to see a little bit of the pastry side of me as well. So I'm also a pastry chef. Yeah. Wow. Oh, we didn't even get, th- all right. Well, we'll we're definitely going to have to have you back on here, Brittany. <laughs> You have me back. We'll talk cakes. We'll talk bourbon. We'll talk yeah. bourbon in cakes. Yeah. Like whatever you want to do. <laughs> wow, I, Brittany, thanks again. That, fantastic show. Thank you so much for your time, your insights, honesty, fun, humor. Everything was fantastic. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Wow, that is uh, well, Justin. Like we say, such a good show, man. That was that was fantastic. It's what just, a, what yeah. an easy person to talk to. She just had such great stories and. Um, she had such great insight for people and, and the, the whole thing about bringing people along and what the, the business side of it all. It was just, it was a lot of fun listening to it. It really was. I could just sit and talk to her all day, but well, we're on time yeah. limits, I guess. So, <laughs> but, um, you know, for our recap today, we're going to introduce a new segment to the show. We're going to have uh, Nate Wolfel on, you know, after our, our 50th episode, we had Nate on the show. And we thought, uh, you know, Nate has is, is always been in the show, always been involved with it, doing copy and posting our social and taking notes on the show. And uh, as I said, on our 50th, we featured Nate. So we're going to have Nate on a new segment here. We're going to do Nate's recap. Nate, why don't you uh, take it away from here with the recap of today's show? Well, thanks, Rich. I'm going to, I'll give it my best shot. <laughs> the one thing I kept coming back to that I really appreciated was because Chef Brittany was so easy to talk to, we really got a sense of who she was and like Chef Brittany, the person. And I, it made me think of how often we forget because the chef is tucked away in the back of the kitchen whenever we're enjoying food, wherever we're enjoying it, that every meal comes from a person comes from a human being is the product of a real live human who has a unique skill set a unique view of the world unique passions and just uh, their own understanding of food and we really got a sense of who chef Brittany was in such a short time a short conversation how cool is it to be a student at that university and to be able to enjoy food from someone who has that extensive of a background and that much passion behind what she does and it's just so cool we say that we love having chefs on the show and we really do it's just so interesting to hear their different experiences and backgrounds and and skill sets and just ways of thinking and today was just an excellent example of just there are some really miraculous people in the world who make food that we just take for granted because there's not a face being put to it and i hope we did well maybe not a face on the podcast here but we did our best to put a voice behind what i'm sure is some fantastic food Excellent, excellent points. And one thing that that truly I'm walking away from this conversation with is her contagious positivity. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's got 
she's been through some stuff and it's going to continue to go through some stuff and you would never ever guess in a million years that it has has any sort of negative impact on her she just the way she carries herself and you know waking up every morning and with her self affirmation mm-hmm. you know she's just a fantastic example to anyone on how to make the best of what you have and turn it into something wonderful oh well said nope i agree with you guys that a real pleasure to have on. I'm, I'm looking forward to our next episode with her, to be quite honest. It's going to be a good yeah. one, I think. So she, she will definitely be back. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for the wrap-up there, Nate, as always. Very good. Very good. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. So, Justin, there we have it. Another great show in the can. Any closing thoughts from you today? Yeah, you bet. I'd like to remind everyone to hit that subscribe button so you never miss another moment with a chef or food service industry professional again. And while you're at it, we would greatly appreciate it if you took a moment to tell your friends about us, share it around, let them know that you appreciate the things that we are doing here. Perfect. Again, reach out, reach out, let us know what you think. Uh, Volrathfoodservice.com slash the feed, another place you can get in touch with us. So look forward to hearing you there. And then to close out the show once again, it's do everything as if a customer was watching you and you'll know you'll be doing it right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week ahead. Until next time, take care.